Last night I hit the guys, I thought, number one, I was proud as hell of them. And uh, they know from this point, moving forward, that the herd gets thinner and the strong get to move along. And that was something that we had discussed, and this defense is really ready to fight. And uh, over the last three weeks, they've really pushed themselves hard you know, to sharpen the ax and find the ways we want to improve. And you've heard me talk about that from our tackling, our running, the ball hawking. And so they know there's not a, a switch to, to flip on, you know, that playoffs are here. Like, it's already on. Well, folks, that is the voice of the new head coach of the Washington Commanders, Dan Quinn. And welcome to the D.C. Sports Subtle. I am Rob Woodfork, who is unimpressed with this new Commanders coach. George Wallace, ever the voice of reason in tumultuous times. And Dave Preston, who offers comfort in the form of ties in James is Bond references. Is this tumultuous? That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Is this tumultuous <laughs> yeah. times? Did it feel weird that this was the last hire? It, it, it felt like... You felt like a high school kid mid-May doesn't have a prom date and everyone yeah. else is paired off. It just, I was, was going to say, like, at the end of the night when you're at the bar, the lights come on and you just have to go home with whoever's on the other end of the bar. Um, I don't think it's that. Dan Quinn. I don't think it's that either. Yeah, I don't no. think it's that. But uh, Dan Quinn, it's uh, it feels uninspired. Dan Quinn is the guy. Uh, you hear a lot of players and coaches and executives around the league that have been highly uh, complimentary of him. Uh, He, of course, does have head coaching experience from his time in Atlanta, where, of course, the highlight was he uh, got to the Super Bowl, had a 25-point lead on the Patriots, and then did not have a 25-point lead on the Patriots. He would lose that game in what was one of the worst um, uh, blown leads in the history of the league. Those but. deficits are wicked hard to come back from, too, from what I've been told. But just a few years earlier, he was a part of that uh, Seattle coaching staff that uh, absolutely of- demolished uh, yeah. he, uh, Peyton Manning yeah. and the Broncos in a Super Bowl. So w- what I like about this move is that you've got a guy who has succeeded and has competed at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And he Atlanta has not had a, a great track record of success. And he was able to lead that franchise. Granted, he had Kyle Shanahan running the offense. He had a top five uh, first round pick in uh, Matt Ryan, uh, you know, at quarterback. So he had a lot of the right things in place. You hope he gets that here. But here's a guy who was at least able to succeed. George Wallace, you're the beat reporter for the team. Uh, your thoughts on the Dan Quinn hiring? I think that uh, the optics are probably tough for wh- or what fans are going to. Uh, have to digest. It does sound like he was one of their top targets. Ben Johnson, I do think, was the top. But then Ben's not coaching. So he didn't turn them down. He did not offer the job to anybody. And if you don't want to be here, I don't want you here anyway as a coach, if you're Ben Johnson. So I don't think it's – I think it would have looked worse if McDonald goes to Seattle and then you have Glenn, Weaver, and Quinn. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. If they had opened up the search again, because then that to me would have been like, well, you did your homework on eight guys, and these none of these guys are good enough. So now you got to you obviously weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. That for me would have looked worse. But they targeted. I think Quinn was a target. Uh, he fits the veteran leader communicator that Adam Peters is looking for, and you're pairing him with a, a rookie GM, which I think is important. I know that people would love to have seen the hot young assistant hire and. The two young guys go at it and the quarterback and this and that, but I'm fine with this hire. The important part 
is who is going to be the offensive coordinator. That, to me, is more important. Dan's the leader of the team now, but that you're going to coordinator is going to help draft, or you're going to draft this number two overall pick, hopefully a quarterback, and that's going to be very, very important. Keep in mind, Dan, for the Ron Rivera 2.0 crowd, he's not Ron Rivera 2.0. He's not in charge of personnel, and he's not coming to work for Dan Snyder. And there's another aspect. I'm glad you brought that up because I have heard a lot about this. Oh, he's just Ron Rivera 2.0. First of all, stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. There are similarities. They both coached in the NFC South. They both got a team to the Super Bowl. They both lost that Super Bowl and had some losing seasons after that. They're both defensive-minded guys, which parenthetically means nothing when you are a head coach. I'm so tired of people saying, oh, they need to hire an offensive guy. Stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. Head coach is a completely separate thing. Mm -hmm. If you are a strong head coach, you're a strong leader, you have organizational skills, it's about hiring a good staff and then delegating to that staff. Mm -hmm. So whatever whatever your path to head coach is irrelevant Mm -hmm. if you get a good offensive coordinator and you get a good defensive coordinator. That's what Belichick had in New England when they won three Super Bowls in four years. He had the best offensive coordinator in the league, and he had the best defensive coordinator in the league, and they dominated everybody. Before he started going with retreads and yeah. chill and his sons. On right. His staff. And, and, but and, you got to be a leader. You got to right, hold people right. accountable. This building has not had that. Yes. You are going to see this, I think, with Dan Quinn. From what everything you're reading and hearing, yes. now one person has said a bad thing about Dan Quinn. Yes. And he's, look, he deserves a second shot as a head coach. Right. A lot and of people the, have gotten a second shot at head coach. And that's the other thing. There's a difference between. A retread, yeah, and giving a guy a second opportunity. We uh, last podcast, we uh, like uh, you, George, and I are in agreement. I don't know how Dave feels about this, but I was very pro Raheem Morris, yes, because his first head coaching gig, he was too young, he wasn't ready. This go round, he's worked on both sides of the ball. For those people out there, oh, you need an offensive guy. Well, he worked on the offensive side of the ball when he was, I believe, in Atlanta. Atlanta. So he's been on both sides of the ball. He's he's an established leader. And again, much like Quinn, everybody around the league, very complimentary of him saying he deserves a chance and why they think he will be successful in that second opportunity. And I would have loved to have seen that opportunity happen here. He but, f- he took over for Quinn when he was fired. Correct. Yeah. Funny so, how you know, everyone's so you, taking oh, over for yeah. someone. Oh, well, look at Peters. Peters worked with uh, – Peters was in San Fran with Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan was on Dan Quinn's staff in Atlanta. Right. So it all it's all about just right. – um, I'm jumping around here. Let's go back to the Rivera versus Quinn thing. Okay. So it's not that because I went back and looked at some numbers here. Rivera, yeah. 102, 103, and 2 in 13 seasons as a head coach. 3-5 and five in the playoffs. Massive Super Bowl hangover. After his Super Bowl appearance, they went 6-10. and 10. Mm-hmm. With Quinn, 43-42 and 42 in four-plus seasons, so a little less of a track record, but – winning record in the playoffs at 3-2, and two, and did not have a Super Bowl hangover after they went. They blew a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl. Sure did. Like, Rivera's Super Bowl, they weren't even in the game for the most part. I mean, the, it wasn't a bad out-of-control right. score, but it didn't feel like they had control of that okay. at any point. So you got to watch that at Fenstie's place. Yeah. <laughs> Ricketts was with us. Oh, those are the oh, days. Oh, the, the, the rapid claps. But um, he's he's – he went in ten and six the next year and had a playoff win after losing the Super Bowl. So Dan Quinn, as you mentioned, he's not running personnel. 
He has access to the Shanahan coaching tree, which, uh-huh. again, is an important thing. If you're a head coach, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be calling plays. You shouldn't be doing nope. all this other stuff that offensive coordinators do. You need to be the head coach and have established – maybe not established, but you need to have strong coordinators. And to all that right. point, let's not expect him, because he has a defensive background, to turn around the defense right away because his track record as a defensive coordinator is very strong. He had three top five scoring defenses in five years, four top ten defenses out of his five years as a defensive coordinator. But as a head coach, he only had one top ten defense in six years. I would like to see him call plays initially. Maybe on defense. I'd like what, to see him have his fingerprints on the defense, but huh? not necessarily be in the trenches. I think uh, you know, when you look at Ideally, successful right. yeah. coaches, yeah. all right, are they a little more involved on their side of the ball, what their specialty was before they became a head coach? Yes. But are they involved, you know, at a ground level with that unit? Not necessarily. And I think that's, I think, I think he's, he learned that when he was a head coach in Atlanta and he's uh, you know more than ready to move on and be a head coach. And uh, unlike previous ownership and previous hires, I, I I can't not give this ownership and front office the benefit of the doubt. I have to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Uh, with whatever move they make, because so far they've earned my trust. Not f- even though a lot of people wanted them to fire Ron Rivera halfway through the season, they didn't do so. They kept their word. They the GM search was very well thought out and ended rather quickly. Uh, and they got the guy that they wanted. So I have to feel that, you know what, they've got the head coach that they wanted. And until things completely go sideways for the Dan Quinn era, you're, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and feel that, all right, they're moving in the right direction. Until they give us evidence that this was a bad hire, and I don't think it was. And also, and, he doesn't have a long track record. He had six yeah. years yeah. in Atlanta. Six years, not even six years, because he got fired in the midst five of the and, and yeah. five start. So five and change. Uh, Rivera was in Carolina forever. Yeah. So, you know, there are differences there. Like, it's plausible that, and this is what I've heard in connection with Dan Quinn, is that, you know, we saw with Rivera when he came in here, what did he do? He went shopping for his uh, Panthers recycles oh, from Carolina. Right. We're not going to have that here. And the word is Quinn has taken the time to say what went wrong for me in Atlanta. What can I do differently in the next stop? Instead of trying to run it back with a bunch of guys he had in Atlanta, although if he, you know, Kyle Shanahan gets fired and you want to bring him as the offensive coordinator for a second go around, that would be nice. But he's not trying to run it back with a bunch of ex-Falcons. No, and I think that's that's key. And to Dave's point, I also want to say, for me personally – Looking at this, the GM is the that the fact that they have a GM who's a very good talent evaluator yep. is the most important thing. Coaches will come and go, but you identified the guy. That was there was no lock for the head coaching position. I mean, yes, Ben Johnson was the hot name. That's fine. He don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. It's fine. He don't want to be anywhere for whatever reason. For whatever, and that's and, fine. And maybe and it, Washington sm- smelled a rat yeah. and didn't want. I him. don't think, and and that's the thing. The way that these guys operate, the way Josh Harris operates, you look at his previous. He goes after veteran coaches. That's fine. You, They've done their homework. You have guys like the Myers and Spielman, Magic, Rail, Mitch Rails, these guys. They weren't panicking. If it had gone to next week, okay, you figure what's going on. You ask what's going on. But I, from what someone had told me, that they weren't expecting this to be done Monday or Tuesday anyway, even if they, they were going to talk to Johnson again and then make a decision. Other guys took other jobs. That's fine. But I don't think this group panicked. 
And you can't look at, you know, the social media thing. It just kills me. Like, it's just, <laughs> you know, just I'm going to trust them because they have the the process in place. Who and would, if they yeah. make this decision, they make the decision. They identified Dan Quinn. He wanted the job. He wanted the job. So, and, and here's the thing. We talked a bit about the. Actually, we talked a lot about this toward the end of the season and even in the last episode. How desirable a job this is. Yeah. I don't think we differentiated which job. From a general manager standpoint, uh-huh. yes, this is a really sexy job. You have new ownership, a guy who's going to be patient. You have uh, all the cap space we talked about. We talked about the draft assets that they have mm-hmm. coming up. So that's sexy to a general manager. That's maybe not as attractive for a head coach because everything about that says this is going to be a work in progress. You look at the roster that's there now, a lot of their key players, you know, the few that you could put in that category, a lot of their key players are free agents. Mm -hmm. And the guys that are here didn't play so well. Uh, The guys not named uh, Brian Robinson Jr. and and Terry McLaurin didn't play so well. So – you know, you look at this from a coaching standpoint, if you are, say, a Ben Johnson who's 37 years old, this is my first head coaching job, do I really want that to be my first head coaching job? And even though we here locally are just like, Dan Snyder's gone, New Day is here, the league perception mm-hmm. is, wait a minute, they got new ownership, they got a new general manager, but they still have a training facility that's right out of 1975 yeah and a field that sucks and a stadium that's ranked one of the worst if not the worst in the nfl so there is still a lot to be done Mm -hmm. before this is a desirable job outside of what isn't here anymore right i think what makes this higher a good one is the fact that uh, Quinn had three years as a defensive coordinator uh, at Dallas after uh, he was relieved of his duties in Atlanta, whereas Rivera was still on the treadmill and didn't even have time to breathe or self-evaluate. We've talked about how Quinn has self-evaluated his time, what went well, what did not go well in Atlanta. He's had three years to think about that. Mm-hmm. Three years when he's not developing a game plan on the on the defensive side of the ball or trying to coach guys up on, all right, how would I do what I did in 2015 differently, 2016 differently, 2017 differently? Because these guys are thoughtful. And Ron Rivera was like, all right, let's just try to do things better than we did things in Carolina. <laughs> and, I, and I think he's going to realize how important this next hire is, which is the offensive coordinator position. That, to me, is the most important thing he can do right now because you have the number two pick and you're going to get a quarterback. You want to make sure you have the guy to get a quarterback. The other thing, and I heard someone mention, I don't know where I was listening, Someone mentioned interesting about the difference between an offensive background coach mm-hmm. as far as offense defense is if you hire an, if you had hired an offensive guy and you draft the quarterback you pair them together for quite a few years hopefully now if you hire a offensive coordinator that does well with your young quarterback he could be up for a job in a couple of years and be out the door so you could take that you know I get it but you can't go thinking like that because you got to make sure you have the right. right. I'd take two, three good years of a of Or pairing. you just get an offensive coordinator like Ben Johnson, who's just not going to go anywhere. <laughs> just won't leave. <laughs> or Bobby Slowick. Yeah. What I like about this move is the fact that they've, they're have they bringing adults in the building now. For so many years, we had the the Vinny Serratos, the Bruce Allens. We had uh, Jay Gruden, who now is like all, oh, I would have done this, I would have done that. You know, mm-hmm. run, you know, And it's amazing how 
his perception of himself and his success or lack thereof has changed uh, due to the Ron Rivera regime. But I, I like where this organization is going, and you know, I'm, now I'm ready for free agency in the draft, and I'm ready to see who is going to be on this coaching staff. Does Eric Bieniemy stay? What happens to him? Who do they fit in that offensive coordinator role? So, and I think you're uniquely suited to ask this question because the thing about fans not being impressed by the Dan Quinn hire, first of all, any organization that's out here making decisions based on fans is yeah. probably a losing organization. Who you would the previous regime had brought in? Who would it? Because you know, they, would, would they have been like, "Oh, we can't, we can't hire a Cowboys guy. No, they That's heresy." No. They would have, they would have brought back Jim Zorn before they would have gotten. No, no they, they, they wouldn't would, have. But no. they would have. But they would have know, hired Bill Belichick. Yeah. They'd have backed up a Brinks truck. Right. They'd have given him all the control that that he wanted, and they would have hired Bill Belichick or He'd Harbaugh. Right brought in uh, yeah. Jim, Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, one of those names that and given moves complete the needle control. But isn't necessarily right. good for the organization, but I but I bring up Belichick because in New England when he was hired back in what was that two thousand, yeah, um, that wasn't a sexy hire at the time, was it? I mean, he was the guy at that point in time. He was the guy who flamed out in Cleveland, right? For you some could make reasons, it not his fault. He did lead them. Fault. Yeah, he did lead them to a playoff bid. Yeah. He was a guy who, for the most part, was successful while being paired with Bill Parcells. Correct. He had limited success in Cleveland for an organization that cut and ran out of town until they were I think they were five and three when when they announced that they were moving to Baltimore and then they I lost eight they, straight to yeah, end I was the season. Say, I don't think they won again. And they, they just yeah. yeah, which is just you know unbelievable it's amazing little side note here, the fact that Cleveland had uh, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick yeah. on their <laughs> sidelines and did not make it to a Super Bowl yeah. while they were there is uh, you, that, you, you can't get more Cleveland than that. 13 here yeah. in Washington. But that wasn't a sexy hire no. then. But then now in retrospect, right. it was the best thing that that franchise ever did. Joe Gibbs 1.0 was not a sexy hire. No. Somebody tweeted today or posted on X that, yeah, they wanted in uh, after 1980, people, they wanted uh, John Madden to be brought in. Oh, and he was just God. starting to, you know, his, his broadcasting career was just starting to mm-hmm. take off. So, he wasn't the lead announcer that a lot of people think of. He was like many coaches, like Hank Stram, who, after getting fired by the Chiefs, did a couple years on TV. Then he took the Saints job. Then he got fired and then moved on. Marv Levy was a guy who bounced in and out. There were a lot of guys who you know, did TV in between head coaching gigs. And I think a lot of people thought that Madden was that guy. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. They brought in Joe Gibbs, who was a nameless announcer. If you followed the game, you knew that he was, I think, the backfield coach for the Cardinals when they were good in the 70s under Don Coryell. You knew that he was the offensive coordinator uh, for those Charger teams that were really good. But you also knew that he was the offensive coordinator for a Tampa Bay team that couldn't score more than 15 points a game mm-hmm. in 78. And they uh, and was uh, there was one, uh, one of my favorite Gibbs stories was he's offensive coordinate, coordinator. He calls this play gets you know pick six or a game losing interception by Doug Williams uh, not his fault because the offensive scheme was not awesome under John McKay but as he comes back he sees he, he looks for his name tag on the uh, on the team plane and his name card is ripped up <laughs> so you know but so I I don't think anybody was overwhelmed yeah. with uh, Gibbs 1.0 but they were with Gibbs 2.0 when he finished under 500 during his tenure here the second time around so I think right. 
you know, I, I'm willing to give this new ownership, I'm willing to give this new front office the benefit of the doubt because for the longest time we've had so many reasons not to and with also, the previous fans, regime. You've been crying for so long to get rid of Dan Snyder. You've been crying for so long to have adults in the room and to do, you know, and to look like an organization. Well, you got your first pick for general manager. You have a solid ownership group based on uh, everything we've heard so far. They go through a good uh, search and uh, an exhaustive search. It was, um, you know, you had uh, diversity within that search. So there's really no complaint with this process other than just the perception that because you were the last team to fill a vacancy that uh, that it looks like some sort of like desperation move or right. something like that. And I, I don't feel like it's a desperation move. How, you can call yeah. it uninspired. I don't call it desperation. How accurate do you think the reporting was regarding the fact that they were already in the air when uh, Johnson pulled out, pulled his name out of consideration and the fact that they called McDonald while his flight was in the air? Uh. <laughs> that I mean that you know from the national for the national narrative of yeah. the burgundy and gold the last yeah. 25 years yeah. that is what this team yeah. has done where they call the guy here they do this they do that and uh it, it's smacks of well we're already on our way I mean and thing is uh, and aside of that if I'm Ben Johnson and I have an interview scheduled and they're coming to visit me and they're they're already on their way even if I'm not taking the job I take the interview Correct. That's a decent. Is this going to sabotage him in the future? First of all, from the standpoint of him getting a head coaching job, th- right. he's never going to be hotter than he is now, unless they do go on to win a Super Bowl. Right. But it's Detroit. Their history suggests, and you, I mean, you're leaving a lot to chance. I, I won't right. even take in their history into account because nothing happens until it does. So I'm not going to say that he's ruined his best chance, but I will say that. He's not going to be hotter than he is now. And so with that in mind, to basically turn off potential suitors by not carrying yourself as professionally as you could have, that has to be a mark against him. I would be surprised if he's a head coach at this point. Yeah, it just uh, – but the fact that – they were in the air, and then they called a guy in the yeah. air. That's just that smacks of 2015, they, right? And it's a good thing they already have. They had an interview with Aaron yeah. Glenn, the defensive coordinator, so it's not like they <laughs> wasted jet fuel. See the but, sights, yeah. So, yeah, Ben Johnson. I, there's got to be something that right. isn't being reported. Maybe he has a family situation. Maybe he just looked at at, at it and is just like, I'm not ready to be a head coach yet, right? You know, whatever. Sometimes the, case, the best jobs are the ones that you don't take. Correct. And also from a Washington standpoint, whatever his reasons are, it's a good thing you didn't hire him. It's yeah. a good thing this wasn't a Colt situation where you had Ugh. Josh McDaniels locked up and you made the announcement and then right. he pulls out like it didn't get to that point. So um, and I don't know how serious a candidate Mike McDonald ever was, because that's what fans are upset about. You know, the young uh, Ben Johnson, the young. Uh, Mike McDonald, and because Dan Quinn isn't a 30-something who has an offensive background doesn't mean that it's a bad hire. No. He does have stubble, though, which kind of brings him <laughs> in with a lot of the other assistants, and he has walked near Sean McVay at oh, certain yeah. times. Yeah, he so met that's, Sean that's McVay that one time. Don't, and I think something that we have to tell the, the listeners out there, don't discount the fact that agents, powerful agents, are able to get stuff out 
with either Schefter or on uh, X mm-hmm. or post it out on social media. Uh, there are the a lot of these agents who represent these assistant coaches and coordinators and former head coaches will throw names out and there and find a way to get a coach's name in consideration for a job that he is nowhere near in consideration for. Right. All right. George Wallace is back. Uh, we, we've been continuing the conversation, but uh, also this is still a breaking story as of when we're recording. This. Sure. So we're all kind of pulled in different directions, but um, what's next? Who do you want to see as the new offensive coordinator in Washington, George? First question is going to be what happens to Eric Bannami? He's still under contract. He's still in the building, number yeah. one. Um, Clint Kubiak's name has been popped up today. He's on Kyle Shanahan's staff in San Francisco. Kubiak name sound familiar to everybody? Yeah. Um, Nepotism. You could bring, I'd and I'd and that's another one from a Shanahan coaching tree. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to look at that, look what um, Demarco uh, Ryan's did in Houston. He brought Bobby Sloak. What? Yeah. Um, Bobby Sloak, first year offensive coordinator. Look at him. You know, you go get a Kubiak, somebody like that. If he's got some a good track record, I don't know enough about him at this point. I have to mm-hmm. do some more. But no other name really stands out. One name that I'll throw out there, what about Frank Reich as an offensive coordinator, veteran offensive coordinator, had success with the quarterback you don't position. You have to worry about him getting hired away. Correct. I think he's exhausted his head coaching uh, mileage. Too and he's 63. He's 63. And the thing is, too, you know, a lot of t- there are only 32 of these jobs. Yep. So even a job for – the, an owner like the one in Carolina or the one in Indianapolis, <laughs> you got to take. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, gosh, two two hot messes of franchises: the Colts but and the that Panthers. Cliff Kingsbury's name is still out there. Here's a name that is not out there, and I am wondering like hell why. Why is Byron Leftwich not in the NFL right now? Good point. Is there something going on here that I don't know about? Like what? He is was it? where? Tampa. He, he was he, he was the Super Bowl oh, winning yeah. coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, that's right. He doesn't have a job, does he? Yeah. Josh McDaniels has suckered two NFL owners into giving him a head coaching job. Did Leftwich interview a ton last year? Uh, After? I don't I remember. Don't th- he was let go last year. Right. And so I don't know that he got a lot of interviews, but... Yeah. He has been just about erased. From, yeah, you did. And yeah. so did the rest of the NFL. Yeah. Byron Leftwich, local kid. Because he did well in Atlanta and Tampa. He did well. He did well there. He uh, came up in Pittsburgh, uh, through right? the ranks. Yeah. He was the backup quarterback in Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't think he coached in Pittsburgh. He didn't coach in Pittsburgh? No. No, he was under no. Bruce Arian. So he was in Arizona. Oh. Yeah, Arizona. As a matter of fact, his first offensive coordinator gig was in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Then he followed him to Tampa. And I mean, you're talking about developing a quarterback with the second overall pick. Who better than a guy who was drafted in the top 10 in the NFL as a quarterback and has worked with quarterbacks to some success. So Byron Leftwich, man. I like that. Call him. That'd be a good hire. Call that man. And again, he's a guy who's got local ties and has love for the Burgundy and Gold. You don't have to send draft picks to whichever team's employing him because (laughs) no one is at this That's right. Exactly. Look, here's the bottom line with the hire. Here's what I want you to focus on. All right. If the person you were looking for is somebody that's been there before, that's been a leader, been a head coach, and you look at somebody like Dan Quinn, record aside, he's been there, he's been to a Super Bowl. Everywhere he's gone, his defenses have gone up. It's a solid, it's a solid move if you're checking all those boxes. Right. Right? Right. And he's not like a, as your point, not a retread. He's not like his fifth team. Right. 
So I'm 100% all in on this. That being said, hiring the offensive coordinator is the most important thing right now and the quarterback coach. Correct. Yeah, you got to develop and, whomever they uh, whomever they pick. I think I think one B is uh, bringing in some offensive linemen, which is a, a but you can't use that on the day. number two pick. Yeah, no, don't do it. No, 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 don't, don't do, do it. That. Don't do that. And that's the thing of all the candidates that were left or that that were in total, he has the best ability to assemble mm-hmm. a staff. Yes, and that is one of the most important parts. Of being a head coach, especially this late in the game, where yeah. you see All other co- guys, where yeah, other right. teams have even teams with uh, coaching regimes in place have made hires uh, and, and and are filling out their staff. And also another thing to point out, though, and I should have brought this up while we were talking about the you know sort of the juxtaposition between him and Ron Rivera is that Ron Rivera took his team to the Super Bowl in year five. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah year five. It was year five season. Yeah, when. Quinn went to the Super Bowl year two. Yeah. He can turn it around quick. Yeah. And they had won eight total games in the two years before him getting there, I think. Correct. Atlanta, right? Yeah. yeah. And they won Atlanta eight, was objectively won, yeah. bad. Yeah. And uh, yes, they had a losing season out the gate. Year two, Super Bowl. And a 25-point lead over Bill Belichick and do Tom you Brady. Think, do you think – and look, fans, just nobody's going to be happy anyway. But do you think that the Cowboys uh, lost to the Packers – Kind of diminished the his exc- ability to return excitement for this. I think so. Forty-eight points given up in prime time. Right. I mean, if, if they had hired him two days after, yeah. it would have been like, "What the right. hell are you doing?" Right. Yeah, you know. I think, or a week before, it would have been fine. Yeah, a week before. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Yeah. But I think they've. I think they. And keep in mind, they've been doing a lot of work on this for a while. I mean, you identified Adam Peters right away. You went and got him. To me, that was more important. I've already said that. But, you know, Quinn is a guy that they've identified. I mean, it, it's – look, I, I again, this regime, they've done their homework. This is not a panic move. This is not regime of the past. You have to just let it – people all of a sudden, you know, again, it's a social media thing, but all of a sudden they're, you know, throwing Adam Peters under the bus. Like all of a sudden he, he's, he's not any good a month, three weeks after because you didn't get Ben Johnson. And here's the thing. I'm not sold that Ben Johnson's any great shakes. We don't know, know what Mike McDonald's going to be. We right. don't know what Anthony Weaver's going to look. Anthony Weaver's not even the defensive coordinator. And I'm surprised at that. If Zach yeah. Orr got the job in Baltimore, right? But if you were going of those three candidates, if you were going with a young newcomer, I wanted Anthony Weaver just because he came from Baltimore, right? And he's been under John Harbaugh. But if you go on the veteran route, then I'm totally fine with Quinn. And he was the only veteran of the veterans there. Yeah. If Mike Vrabel is true that he wanted all this control, then no, I don't have any use for him. So just some dot connecting here. Yeah. Ran Carthon, the GM. Yes. And by some reports, he had a little spat with Rand Carthon and basically ownership picked Carthon's side on that. Okay. Where did Rand Carthon come from? The 49ers. And so yep. maybe Adam yep. Peters, who just came from the 49ers, right. maybe Rand Carthon doesn't have any good things to say about. Picks up the phone. Yeah. And – says yeah. uh these guys know each other it. they do and they right. talk there's there's a grapevine there so, you want Rivera to go to Dallas as defensive coordinator I now I'd love that that'd yeah. be rich I'd love that although he would probably go there and they'd have the number one defense yeah so yeah so all this Super Bowl talk um we should uh probably just touch real quick on Super Bowl 58 it's the game nobody asked for Kansas City 
San Francisco <laughs> again four years later. Feels like, like 10 years because of the pandemic, it though. Does. You I know? Mean, That's the funny I, thing. After I, that game is when the pandemic hit. I mean, yeah, 2019, I mean, it's 2019 all over again because the MVP is probably going to be Lamar Jackson, and we have this yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah. So, um, quick, uh, the, the way too early picks – I picked the Niners to lose in the Super Bowl to the Ravens in the preseason, so they got to lose to somebody. So I'm going with the Chiefs. You can't bet against Mahomes, can nope. you? Can't do it. No. 27-24, Mahomes is Super Bowl MVP. You got a score that's already? What it is. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I can't bet against him either. I said last week in the championship game, everybody gave me a bunch of crap winning in Baltimore. But he's a champion. They get it done. And Andy Reid, two weeks to prepare. Like that's they're 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 good, man. They are. Uh, you know, and the Diners defense. They're good, but they haven't been playing great. No. Yes, the second halves they've been okay in the last two weeks, yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's also Detroit. It was Detroit and Green Bay. This, it's not the Chiefs. Yeah. They've they've found a way to play down to their opponents in the yeah. last two weeks. Yes, and so I, I'm that is a concern. I think uh, well, Presto's picks nine and three against the numbers so hey. far this playoff season. Ring I'll be bell. posting my pick on X yeah. at the appropriate time. I, can't I like Kansas City plus the two, I think, is what they've got now. I, I think they're getting two at this point in time. Also, Christian McCaffrey to score an anytime touchdown because you know, regard, they will find a way to get him the football. He will find a way mm-hmm. to get himself the football and yeah. get into the end zone. So yeah. if you're looking for one of those parlays, I would take the under – Kansas City and the two, and then McCaffrey to get the anytime touchdown. I can agree with all that. I think Chiefs are going to win the game. I do. Yeah. Do you think Chiefs are going to win the game? I think they will. Yeah. I think they will win the game. Yeah. Um, I think the, this is uh, first team to repeat since the 03-04 Patriots. Mm-hmm. And just due to it, it, teams don't repeat all the time because it's tough to repeat. I think this Chiefs team has a lot of aging parts on it. This yeah. team is not the team that I mean, and that's what happens when you've been so good for so long and you don't have as good you draft picks. Six straight NFC exactly. championship games. Fourth yeah. time they've gone to the Super Bowl in five years, and this is a wiser team than the one that tried to repeat back in in 2020. Yeah, uh, they're not playing in the other team's home stadium oh, like yeah. they did in 2020. That's right. They're not going up against right. a wicked awesome Tom Brady like they did in 2020. Oh, so boy. I think they'll I think they'll be They'll be better than the Niners where it counts and when it counts down the stretch. And the Niners were very fortunate to face the seven-seed Green Bay and to face a Detroit team that, yes, the Lions are very good, but they also came undone at the worst possible moment. Uh, It went from 24-7 to... You know, a, a tie game seemingly in the, in the wake of an eye. Right. And this game, that, that NFC Championship game this past Sunday, was close to being 28-7 at the half. Yeah. They score a touchdown before the half, yeah. and I think it's I think it's Chiefs-Lions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think San Fran comes back from 21 down. Seven, it's amazing how 17 down feels a lot more yeah. than four points better mm-hmm. than 21 down. And it's amazing how much those games could have gone the other way because Baltimore— they I shut them out in the second half. Yeah, they shut that. The Chiefs are the first team to get shut out in the second half of a championship game and win, and still win. Is that right? Shut out. I know. And so, you held Patrick Mahomes to seventeen points. Yeah, you were playing at home. You brought yeah. back all those legends and all that other stuff, and you played it up, yeah. and you laid that egg. Yeah, got to score. That's, that's got to be one of the most heartbreaking losses uh-huh. in that franchise. Oh, oh totally, especially at home. Especially first to play championship first, game at home. Yeah, yeah, first championship game at home since 1970. I would say just about anybody. You know, yeah. you, you you think of 
you know, heartbreaking losses in the championship at the championship game level. level, level you yeah. go back to there were two years where Dallas and Green Bay. This is Lombardi Landry, where Meredith throws an interception in the end zone one year. The next year uh, is Bart Starr's you know famous sneak. Yeah, you know the Ice Bowl. Ice they, Bowl. They, there, there have been there have been some of those games. This is a game on that level because you've got the you you finally host. An mm-hmm. AFC Championship game, first yeah. time in franchise history, yeah. first time for this proud city since 1970, 71 uh, off the 70 season, mm-hmm. and you come out, and I'm not saying they laid an egg, but turning the ball over twice in the end zone in the fourth quarter. He, 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 that he, is he tried such to force a it. He, stinger. I think he panicked a little bit. He tried to force it. He did, instead of just playing and thinking and playing. It's easy for us to say. I thought there was pass ball. interference on that play. Yeah, there was. But they shoved they, him no, down. Yeah, the refs. But then are you can't blame, flowers. You can't taunt the. You can't out. taunt the guy, no, and then B, you fumble yeah, the ball. Yeah. You can't do it. I yeah. have a thing with guys who wear single digit jerseys, and we've got a few in Here Washington. I think that if you wear a single digit jersey and you mess up the way Flowers did in the AFC Championship game, you have to forfeit said jersey. And next year, maybe he wears eighty what, for a punter or twenty four. No, I will because it's a specialist. You're a specialist. Tressway hasn't you're a messed punter. up. Who else has singled? That Brian Robinson hasn't messed up. No, they've been good. <laughs> okay, they've been good. But 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 De'Ami, if Robinson De'Ami fumbles Brown, like five Jahan times Dotson. in a game, if, if, if 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 Robinson fumbles like five times in a game, yeah. then it's like All you right. know he's out. You should probably have thirty-eight or twenty-eight. I'm sorry. And actually, in a somewhat related note, because we did dodge this bullet, but we've had to deal with it a couple of times with Baltimore in the Super Bowl. Some people in DC's leaning to treat. Baltimore as local. Now, I have a big gripe with this. I do too. Oh, how because, much time do we have for this? Oh, we'll take time. We got a half hour. It's <laughs> Baltimore and Washington are two distinctly different yeah. markets. I live in Columbia, Maryland. I can't watch a commander's game straight up. I'm like somebody who lives out of town where oh, I wow. have to go to a bar. The cutoff line is Burtonsville. My if hometown. you go as far, yeah. If don't you go, talk. Don't talk about. Don't. Don't. I'm not talking about Burtonsville, right. but that's the that's the furthest north Easy. you can go and still get yeah. Commanders games reliably. Correct. Mm. That's insane. They will run infomercials on Fox instead of the Commanders game. Mm-hmm. Now, in recent years, that's probably a good choice. Right. But just from the standpoint of. Washington treats Baltimore like it's local. Baltimore wants nothing to do with it. Correct. When Washington was in Super Bowls, did they send Baltimore reporters? Heck no. no. Nope. When the Nationals were in the World Series just now, yep. did they send Baltimore reporters? No. Because no, it ain't their team. Yep. Why is Washington sending people to Baltimore? They, they covered the game. Local TV covered the game up there. Covered the game. I know. Right. I can't stand it. Stop it. I didn't like Stop talking about it here. No, I didn't like, like talking we, about it's it like here. It was in Bethesda. Yeah. Right. It is not. No. When you talk about the DMV, right. <clears throat> Baltimore is not a part of that. Correct. Orioles make sense on a smaller level because for 30-plus years they were the only baseball team in town, and they were good enough. But I push that- back on that. But I push back on that because for a long time, Baltimore didn't have football. And guess what their attitude is about the burgundy and gold? Right. They hate them. Hate them. Yeah. So it's just – it's. It, it just galls me because it's just it's just front running homerism and it's just uh-huh. it's just ridiculous I'm because it's not local. Mm-hmm. He's not wrong. No, just, I'm glad I didn't have to go, go up, up and be like, "Hey, what's going on?" And because right. you know they're like, "Oh gosh, you got who the heck are you yeah. people?" Nope. <laughs> and it's different than 
national media going to cover that game. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, you're, you, you know, you don't cover them, but you're covering them because it's a title game. No, it's different. It's different than somebody right. national coming in to cover than somebody right. driving 45 minutes to cover you. No, Just I wasn't going to go cover it. that game. I'm with you on that, my friend. Good job. I know. We need to I get, can't stand it. We need I to can't get stand Craig it. And I, on here. And I, I mean, look, I grew up here. And yes, I grew up here going to Memorial Stadium. I yeah. mean, Cal Ripke was my guy because that's how I that's how I learned about baseball. That was how I grew up to baseball. I could get into a car and drive to a baseball game. Sure. Totally fine. But when the Nationals came here and then the, and then the Angelos family started screwing everything up, I was like, totally out on that. Yeah. DC's my home. This is my this is my squad. Right. This is my home. This is my squad. My squad. <laughs> Different animal. <laughs> That's a man with street cred. And another man with street cred, Dave Preston, is going to close us out Audible, with, uh, an audible. Audible at the line of scrimmage. And even though we're talking about what is local and what isn't local, the best local rivalry in oh. college basketball, in my opinion, and we we extend the net quite a ways. You better not say in the, something in Richmond. Don't you oh, do. yeah, Atlantic 10. VCU plays Richmond Saturday. These two schools. That's not local. It's that's local even enough. Further, that's even further than Baltimore. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> It's in our That's local net. It's That's in our local line. net. We have a lot of we have a lot of people who send their kids to Richmond. And we got VCU. a lot of Cowboys fans here too. Oh, that's cute. Um, but uh, you know, Richmond was picked to finish 11th in the Atlantic 10 in the preseason. They are uh, currently eight and zero in league play, yeah. having a fantastic season using the transfer portal. They got this kid Jordan King from Eastern Tennessee State. He leads the A10 in scoring. VCU under Ryan Odom has played very well. They lost the other night, blew a twenty point lead against St. Bonaventure, but they've been one of the hotter teams. The A10 is always more interesting when VCU and Richmond are both good because they both hate each other beyond belief. Fair. And just from a theater standpoint. It's a fun game to watch when those two teams play, and they play Saturday. I'm right. fine with that. All right. I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm fine with talking about them. But yeah. They have the rivalry. Is they problem. have the rivalry and the enmity that I wish George Mason and George Washington had sharing, although they're a little further apart than VCU and Richmond are distance-wise. Now, those are locals. Yeah. And we are wrapping up the huddle. I am Rob Woodfork alongside George Wallace, Dave Preston, breaking the huddle.